This week on Geeksplain, we're reviewing something pretty special. The fate of the Earth hangs in the balance when the Justice League clashes with the most dangerous force of the 31st century, the Fatal Five. But what are they doing in the present day, and what does rookie Green Lantern Jessica Cruz have to do with it? Find out as we review Justice League vs. the Fatal Five. Welcome back to Geeksplain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Gazana, and today's episode is uh, I've is been long in the making. I think I've uh, I've been really anticipating this uh, for a while, ever since it was announced. And what am I referring to? Of course, I am referring to Justice League versus the Fatal Five. This is an animated DC film that dropped officially on Blu-ray, DVD, all that stuff uh, yesterday as of um, the release of this episode. I'm recording this in advance, of course, but um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you guys and gals about this. So just a quick breakdown for today, as always, uh, we'll be starting off with our new segment, just kind of a catch-all for as much news as I can get my hands on for this week. Of course, then we'll be jumping into the review. Following that, of course, our weekly review for uh, this week's episode of Doom Patrol, followed by this week's Comics Countdown, and rounding us off is the continuation of our MCU rankings. Uh, I'm really excited to just get into it, so let's jump in right now with our news segment. And there was a lot This past week has been quite a newsworthy week in the world of uh, geek culture. So I am pulling up my notes right now. And of course, got to start it off, Game of Thrones Season 8, the final season, premiered this past Sunday with Episode 1. There's going to be a... It's a short... uh, uh, Short episode list this time around. The final season of Game of Thrones is just six episodes. Six episodes long of varying lengths... Uh, from what I remember reading, some of them are the normal hour, some of them are like an hour and a half. I think I heard somewhere there was one that's like two hours, so I'm excited. Really, really strong start for Game of Thrones for this season. It's kind of a bringing everybody together. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, at least for Game of Thrones. So, um, just to give people who haven't watched the episode yet, it is a great episode that brings together people who haven't seen each other in quite a while and that is like that happens multiple times throughout the episode but overall really liked it strong start not a whole lot of action but i think that's going to be reserved for uh the kind of the back half of the season but really really liked it also talking about live action tv shows we have a batman for the titans show Uh, A lot of people have been kind of throwing out uh, casting fan casts for Batman for Matt Reeves' 
upcoming Batman film, but I think a Batman that kind of ran under the radar was for the Titans show that is on the DC Universe uh, streaming service. I have gone on record saying that I wasn't the biggest fan of Titans. Um, It wasn't really my cup of tea. There was a lot of problems with it. There were certain things I liked, certain things I liked a lot, but um, overall, I would not say that it was a good show. However, one of, I think, the strongest uh, parts of that show is this overarching narrative between the relationship of Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne. And season two of Titans has officially cast its Bruce Wayne, and it's someone, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, might be familiar to you. The actor's name is Ian Glenn. I have no idea if I said that right. He spells his first name I-A-I-N. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with Ian. So Ian Glenn is better known on Game of Thrones as Jorah Mormont, the uh, older kind of uh, Kingsguard or ex-Kingsguard who is super just one-sided love with Daenerys. Um, but he is one of the best characters in that show. He's had such an arc, and he is bringing his talents to the DC universe, uh, playing Bruce Wayne slash Batman for season two. I was surprised at this. Um, he's quite a bit older than I think a lot of people were expecting. Uh, I recognize that Dick Grayson is, you know, probably like early to mid twenties in Titans. But for me, the, uh, the choice for Batman to be Ian Glenn, I think, is really interesting. I'm going to look up, I'm going to vamp as I look up Ian Glenn's age. Just uh, looking at... He is 57 years old. That is an old man. <laughs> and I, I apologize to anyone of our listeners who are over 50. Um, but in comic book world, in... Um, superhero world 57's fairly old um let me look at ben affleck ben affleck who a lot of people were saying like oh he's a little old for batman he's gonna be playing more of the grizzled dark knight returns kind of batman he's 46 so that is uh 11 years younger than the batman that they just cast for teen or uh, for titan season two but overall ian glenn's a great actor anything that i've seen him in i've really liked so i am cautiously optimistic about it i'm really excited to see what he brings to the character how that's going to fit in and how he's going to fit into the story um another thing for dc universe uh which is i guess not so great um swamp thing a lot of a lot has happened in uh, the world of Swamp Thing. I talked a little bit about it with my kind of wrap-up of WonderCon. We saw the first look at Swamp Thing, which is supposed to be dropping, like, next month or something like that. It's, like, June or July or something, but it's coming soon. And um, unfortunate news, the production for Swamp Thing apparently has been officially halted by whether it's Warner Brothers, DC, whatever, it stopped. They shut it down, and I guess originally the uh, show was supposed to be more than 10 episodes, but now they're going to be stopping at just 10 episodes, which I think is a shame. Um, It's not really clear why this happened. I don't know if they went over budget or um, if there was a problem with 
licensing or whatever, but for whatever reason, it sucks. A uh, couple of the actors have been pretty vocal about their uh, displeasure at this, and I really hope that this doesn't mean that the, uh, the story overall is going to suffer. Um, we also did get a really killer first look, like a, a wider audience first look, including the first look at Swamp Thing himself for the general audience. Uh, he looks he looks fine. He looks fine. He looks pretty much exactly as I uh, kind of saw him looking. He doesn't have the beard that the little like swamp beard that he's had in uh, recent years, but it's a cl classic Swamp Thing look. I dig it. Um, I just, I really want this to be good because I've been really enjoying how much uh, Doom Patrol has been kind of branching outside of the, the normal uh, comic book story setup. And I really want DC to explore more genres. And this, of course, is leaning heavy into the horror aspect. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But I'm, just keep your eye on this because I'm sure there's going to be more developments as we go along. Uh, we also got a couple trailers. Uh, Lion King got its first official trailer. Looks fine. Looks good. Um, I'm a little disappointed in the just the aesthetic of Jafar, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. I'm not disappointed in Chiwetel Ejiofor by any means. But uh, Scar just looks like any other lion. And I recognize that they're going for more like photorealistic lions. But um, the more I see it, I am less interested in it because if you compare like the trailer to like the vibrant colors of the cartoon and i recognize it's a cartoon but this is also like computer animated computer generated like you can pop color into your film so um i don't know i don't know i'm getting mixed feelings now uh film that i don't have mixed feelings on is episode nine which dropped its first trailer during uh, star wars celebration this past weekend um looks great looks fantastic um jj abrams is going to be kind of signing his name and crossing his t's and dotting his i's on this trilogy after uh ryan johnson's last jedi was very divisive so it looks like he's bringing back a lot of the classic stuff just like he kind of did in the uh, story structure of force awakens so i'm excited we got a monologue from luke so we might be seeing force ghost luke uh, we saw Leia there for some reason, and then um, we also got the the cackle, the laugh of the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine, Darth Sidious, however you want to call him, he's going to show up. Um, Ian McDermott was at Star Wars Celebration, and J.J. Abrams confirmed that he is going to be in the movie physically. I'm not sure how or why, but I am dying to find out. So yeah, Star Wars Episode Nine. Also in Star Wars news, the first trailer of Star Wars Jedi, um, The Fallen Order, I believe is the name of the title, is uh, also dropped. This is starring Cameron Monaghan, and I never thought that I wanted to see a redheaded Jedi until I saw this trailer. It looks fantastic. It looks like it is set between Episodes 3 and Episode 4, kind of around the time of uh, Rogue One, and maybe Solo, who knows? But uh, this is going to be dealing with Cameron Monaghan's character, Cal, and I love that. I'm a huge supporter of the name Cal. Um, he is a Jedi. I don't know if he was a Padawan or a Jedi Knight during Order 66, but he was able to escape. And he's been living a quiet life as he looks like a Junker uh, since then. But it looks like uh, 
things are going to spiral out of control pretty quickly and he's going to have to take up arms. So I'm interested in it. It is a narrative-driven single-player story. I'm excited by that. Um, It's EA, less excited by that. But it's being handled by another company. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but um, hopefully this game is going to be good. I really want it to be good. I'm crossing my fingers, and uh, I really want to have a good Star Wars game, because we haven't had a good Star Wars game in a long time. So I really want that to succeed. Uh, Unfortunately, a a property that did not succeed was Hellboy. Uh, This past weekend saw the release of the new Hellboy film, um, starring David Harbour, who plays uh, the sheriff in Stranger Things. And... uh, it's not good. Um, Rotten Tomatoes officially has its score for whatever stock you want to put in Rotten Tomatoes at a 9%. That is full-blown rotten. It is bad. It is not good. It is bad. But uh, yeah, another bad thing. Um, unfortunately, it seems like the new acquisition of Fox to Disney is not going to really play on anything for the uh, foreseeable short-term future. Kevin Feige had a inter- had an interview where he basically said that they have a five-year, I think, plan for Phase Four and possibly beyond that. And at this uh, this point in time, the X-Men do not factor into it. So we may not see uh, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Galactus, any of those characters that they acquired from Fox, at least in the greater MCU, possibly for five years, which sucks. But it also, I think, gives uh, gives the franchise time to breathe. It allows these characters to kind of rest for a little bit since uh, they have been pulled this, that, and everywhere else. Um, I think this... Overall, I think this is going to be good. Uh, Kevin Feige has not lost faith in it, or uh, hasn't done anything to get anyone else to lose faith in him. So I think this is a good idea. I think this is a good plan. Let these characters rest so that when you bring them back, it's not going to be such a harsh, direct uh, comparison between this, uh, the MCU X-Men and the uh, Fox X-Men. So we'll see. One thing that I think is very exciting, though is all the news that came out for Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is the streaming service that Disney is setting up. That's supposed to debut, I think, in November? People will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's supposed to drop in November. And it's going to be kind of like what DC Universe is now, kind of like what Hulu is now. Um, Just a video library of shows, cartoons, uh, movies, original series for Disney properties, both... um, straight disney marvel star wars and we got a lot of news about that the mandalorian which is going to be one of the star wars shows kind of focused around uh the bounty hunters of the same name is going to be on the uh on the platform and we got a first look at a trailer for it looks great looks fantastic um I believe John Favreau is in charge of this one, and he's he's fantastic. He's a great filmmaker, so I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Uh, on the Marvel side, which I think is really exciting, they officially announced the shows that I guess were kind of just rumors up until this point. Uh, Scarlet Witch and The Vision will be having a show called WandaVision. I'm really hoping that they draw inspiration from Tom King's Vision uh, maxi series. 
uh, whether this takes place before Infinity War, after Infinity War, wherever, I really, really think that could be a good way to go. Uh, they also officially confirmed Loki. Um, not really anything else about that, just that, hey, this is happening. Um, they also teased a Hawkeye show, which I'm really excited about, and the premise, the rumored premise, is that it's going to be focused on uh, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye training a newer, younger Hawkeye, which means Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop. I'm so excited. But the big one, the one for me, was probably the, uh, the most important out of all of these, was the announcement and official logo of Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's right. Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Bucky Barnes, Sam Wilson, Falcon, Winter Soldier. This is going to be good. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're going to be doing with it. I have to assume it's post-Infinity War, since they didn't really have any interactions between Civil War and Infinity War. But um, I'm excited. I'm really, really, really excited. Anthony Mackie does such a great job as Falcon, and I love Sebastian Stan's Bucky Barnes. So just putting them together, and just the interactions that they had in Civil War... I think garner enough interest for a show all on their own. So that is it for the news. Uh, like I said, a lot, a lot happened. But now we are going to jump into the entree of today's uh, of today's episode, the main course, if you will, and that is our review of the newest DC animated film, Justice League versus the Fatal Five. I loved it. All right, let's kick it on over to this week's Weekly Review. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I, I really want to set some time aside to really talk about this film, because I really enjoyed it. I, It's so weird, because this is officially and kind of unofficially at the same time a return to a simpler time for young eric um i like most people grew up with batman the animated series i love that show with a burning passion and for me i always wanted to find out where the other superheroes were if there were other superheroes in this world being a huge superman fan i always wanted to hear about superman and then superman came out superman the animated series came out and i loved that show love 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 that show um it, i will be the first to admit freely that it is a weaker show comparatively to batman the animated series but i loved it just the same and then following that the Justice League animated series debuted on Cartoon Network. At least that's where I remember it debuting. I could be wrong. But I absolutely loved that show. Absolutely loved that show. And its follow-up series, Justice League Unlimited, which kind of explored the greater DC animated universe, brought in characters that I don't think could have shown up on their own. We're talking like... Uh, like Vigilante, uh, Shining Knight, you know, those kind of characters, the question that really didn't get a spotlight before and wouldn't have without this show. And what ended up becoming known as the DC Animated Universe or the Timverse or however you want to call it was such a huge part of my childhood and my, um, my whole experience growing up. And so when that ended, um, 
being followed up by Batman Beyond and all that stuff, I really, um, I really look back on that show and all of those shows, that universe, with a good, healthy dose of nostalgia. And I, when I heard that this was being made, um, I loved the Legion of Superheroes, big fan of them, but I didn't know how to feel about it until I saw the first look, until I saw the trailer and it blew me away. It was like transporting back in time, which of course is part of the story. So I absolutely loved getting that feeling again. This film feels like a a longer, uh, more adult episode of Justice League Unlimited in the best way possible. The characters are there, the voice actors are there, they're in familiar designs, even new characters feel at home in this environment, in that art style. And I just, oh, there's so much to talk about. I, uh, I just watched it for a second time right before recording, and I was going to do notes. I watched it uh, for the first time Tuesday night, and then I uh, wanted to kind of let it marinate, and then I was going to watch it again while taking notes, and the second time I watched it, I got so engrossed again, I just couldn't take any notes. So I'm going to try and do this off the cuff. Uh, there maybe spoilers if you haven't watched it go on the dc universe app i feel like every week i'm like dc universe dc universe dc universe and i realize that i probably sound like a shill and i apologize for sounding that way i'm not a shill i'm not being paid for this this is still a completely free podcast that i am doing because i love podcasting um but this this streaming service really is providing you with a genuine uh, opportunity to check this out without having to pay 20 bucks to watch the film. Um, it, it dropped you know, on the DC Universe streaming service the same day that it uh, you know, was released worldwide. And for me, you can pay 20 bucks to have this film, you can redbox it, but for me, you paid nine bucks, you get this film. I don't know how long it's going to be on the app for, but you don't just get that. You get all the seasons of Young Justice. You get Batman the Animated Series, the entire series. You get the entirety of Justice League, the animated series. And it's just, it's worth it. But enough of me shilling this universe. Um, I really, really, really loved this film. I know a lot of people were kind of expecting me to uh, put out a Shazam review, um, but this kind of took priority because this is like my childhood. This is this this is the thing that helped me as a kid really get in touch with my nerdy side, with my geeky side, and I really, really. I just, I just enjoyed getting to dive back into that world. We do meet new characters along with our familiar characters. Uh, Miss Martian of Young Justice and other media properties uh, does make an appearance. She's voiced by a different voice actress, I believe, and has a new um, design. But I thought she was great. She's kind of the uh, entry-level Justice League intern. Batman is kind of showing her the ropes. She's kind of shadowing him, and she doesn't have official Justice League member status yet. But 
her journey throughout the film kind of being the uh having batman as a mentor being the kind of martian robin she even at one point turns into the tim drake robin which i thought was a great moment and i i just i loved seeing that uh, but she really has a great arc you get a good sense of her character she's spunky she's fun there's no uh explanation about her backstory because if you are familiar with the character she's a white martian and since the white martians really i don't know if they exist in the dcau um they just breeze on past that and she's just miss martian she looks like john um we don't know where john is um i think they mentioned that like him uh hot girl and uh john stewart are off you know, dealing with the Ram-Thanagar War. They don't explicitly say it's the Ram-Thanagar War, but it's definitely the Ram-Thanagar War. And um, so it kind of opens the door for these new characters to come in. Uh, we also get the debut of Starboy of the Legion of Superheroes. He is a newer character. He's able to control uh, both his own as well as others' density and both um, kind of make things more dense or less dense at will. And then we get, who I think is arguably the lead in the film, we get Jessica Cruz Green Lantern, also known as Limelight, I guess, in the future, which I think, as silly as a, noun, as silly as a name as it sounds, really sounds kind of cool to me. And I might be in the minority of that, but I think Limelight is a really cool name. Um, but yeah, she is effectively the star of this uh of this film she's voiced by the same actress who plays crazy jane on doom patrol and she is a character that i think um is has been ripe for an adaptation for a while uh she's one of the very few female green lanterns of like any importance in the comics and her series with simon baz i thought is highly underrated and she just she deserves more of a spotlight and i'm glad that she gets it in this film uh she's a character that deals with a lot of uh personal anxiety and as someone who has dealt with that and has people in his life who do deal with anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis i thought it was great uh the film in general really does a great job um touching upon the effects that um certain uh mental illnesses can have on superheroes uh starboy has like a uh condition and he has to take medication for it and if he doesn't take medication for it um it starts to mess with his head so that's a big plot point for him uh jessica cruz has like i said a bunch of anxiety due to a traumatic uh event in her past and that really messes with her ability to be a you know an efficient green lantern and her journey her personal journey through the film i thought was really strong and really made for a great um coming of age tale for her really stepping into the limelight ah, ah i got it i got it i didn't know i didn't like i said i didn't write any of this down so i didn't know if i was going to be able to do a pun here but i knew it i knew i was going to be able to at some point um but yeah, she really gets to come into her own as a member of the Justice League, as a member of the Green Lantern Corps. It at no point, at any point, it never uh, explains once again why she is the Green Lantern on uh, on Earth. 
and what happened to other Green Lanterns. Um, we do get the explanation that Jon Stewart is out in space, so yeah, that's fine. And I guess, you know, they felt like they need a, uh, a Green Lantern kind of patrolling in Sector 2814, whether that's on Earth or whatever. Um, but we also, and this was one of my favorite parts, uh, we also get the basically the reveal that there have been other Earth Green Lanterns. Uh, at a certain point when they go into the future, or it's not, they don't physically go into the future, but they go into Starboy's mind. And while in there, they get to walk through the Hall of the Legion, basically showing off all of the Legionnaires. And at a certain point, they walk into, I guess, kind of the like the Origins wing, where it shows the members of the Justice League. And on a side hall, they have the Hall of the Green Lanterns, which shows Jon Stewart, Hal Jordan, who we saw briefly in, uh, I want to say it was Once in Future Thing two-parter, Guy Gardner in a design that, you know, is very reminiscent of his classic design, and motherfucking Kyle Rayner, my favorite Green Lantern, the best Green Lantern. Kyle Rayner is there. Now, Kyle Rayner was the very first Green Lantern in the DC animated universe. However, they basically gave him Hal Jordan's uh, origin story where he comes across Abensur, Abensur gives him the ring and dies, he fights Sinestro, and then he just goes off. And then during Justice League we find out that after he got the ring, Jon Stewart, who was on like a patrol out in space, comes back, uh, sends Kyle to train on Oa, and then Jon takes over. Jon spends a lot of time in space. If we're talking about like, oh, he's in space again, and now there's another replacement Green Lantern, I think that's really almost irresponsible of him. But who am I to say? However, for Kyle Rayner, he had basically in his one and only like main episode in the Superman animated series, he had a costume that was very reminiscent, in fact, a straight rip from uh, Jon Stewart's costume, except he just had the classic uh, Hal Jordan Green Lantern mask. And then when he showed up in Justice League Unlimited during the episode The Return, he had a a costume closer to the costume he was wearing during Green Lantern Rebirth, uh, post-Ion, and I liked that look. That was fine. But in this movie, we see Kyle Rayner in his original 90s costume in all of its glory, and we see the crab mask. We see the gaudy uh, white uh, rectangle on his upper body, his black costume, the just ridiculously 90s green gauntlets it is fantastic and it opens up a world of possibilities for other green lanterns to show up in dc animated universe properties i would be totally down for a parallax story featuring this these designs whether it's canon to the dcau or not um i just i loved that little touch Another little touch that I really loved as a fan of the Legion is Monel. Monel shows up a bunch of times in this movie, and I am so excited about Monel. Monel is one of my favorite Superman adjacent characters. I loved him in the comics, I really liked him in Supergirl, and I really liked his appearance here. Um, he's very downplayed. The other Legion members outside of basically uh, Starboy and 
Brainiac 5 are pretty much kind of supporting players. I would say even Brainiac 5 falls in that supporting player uh, kind of category. But Monel shows up, and this kills me. Because at the end of the film, when they're going to, once again, spoilers. Um, when they go to Starboy's funeral, Legion shows up, and Monel is there, and at no point does he talk to Superman, and it bothers me. That bothers me. Now, they may have had a conversation off screen, but for me, as a fan of Monel, um, someone who really thinks that character doesn't get enough due, I would have loved that. However, loved seeing the Legion, loved seeing the future, and loved seeing the fatal five who are the main antagonists of the film i thought all of them were handled just as well as you can handle them they have certain amount of uh ridiculous campiness to them both their names their objectives their abilities but i thought they were really well utilized here emerald empress once she's freed is one of the most dangerous villains i think the justice league has ever faced and they show pretty quickly that these that the fatal five are a force to be reckoned with they kill people uh this film uses blood uh uses profanity which is great um i really enjoyed uh getting to see that and even though we did kind of see the uh legion and the fatal five during the episode far from home not to be confused with spider-man far from home uh of justice league unlimited um this really kind of resets them they were a threat in the first film but the threat was more so that the fatal five were basically taking over the other legionnaires and the legionnaires were the threat this one really kind of gives i would say a soft reset to them and they just kick ass they're really good um i really enjoyed starboy as well for everything that he kind of put into it i wasn't terribly a fan of his voice actor um i don't i'm gonna look this up i uh i'm vamping i'm vamping i'm uh trying to figure out i'll let you know what i'm doing i'm trying to look up who plays starboy where are you where are you starboy 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 it's not going to show me what's going on. Um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to figure this out. Who plays... There we go. Elias Gable. I'm not familiar with Elias Gable. Let's click on that see what he's done. Um, let's see. He was in World War Z. Most Violent Years. The, oh, he's the lead of Scorpion. For those of you who are fans of Scorpion um but i just he seemed i don't know there was something missing and something that bothered me about his uh about his performance as starboy um i will say first just as a preface there's no set thing for starboy there is no like oh this character has been played so many times in animated properties and he has such an identity he doesn't this is really our first real introduction to Starboy, and a lot of people's first introduction to the legion in the first place but i he he sounded bored a lot and i didn't like how he was like almost like nasally and like really downplaying everything but i did like 
a lot of the choices that he made. Diane Guerrero as Jessica Cruz is fantastic. She is excellent. As I said earlier, she plays uh, Crazy Jane in Doom Patrol. Another reason to get the DC Universe. Um, she's really, really good. <laughs> um, I would be down to see more of Jessica Cruz in this environment, whether it's you know as part of this or in a different light. Um, also looking up right now, Daniela Bobadilla, Bobadilla plays uh, Miss Martian, so she's she's really good. I don't know what else she's been on, but um, yeah, I really really like the voice cast. They brought back your classic uh, Susan Eisenberg for Wonder Woman, George Newbern for Superman, Kevin Conroy for Batman. So you get all of these familiar voices, and you can tell that this probably takes place after the conclusion of justice league unlimited which of course ended with an open ending but i really i really actually liked that this seemed to uh tie in so well with the dc animated universe and recently we've had like certain films that are like i don't know like uh batman versus harley quinn or Batman and Harley Quinn, I, just, I, I didn't like that film. I didn't like it. I'm sorry if you liked it, but I didn't like it. Um, and this is a much stronger film. And Batman and Harley Quinn possibly is also canon to the DCAU. But for me, I really think that this is a much better film. The characters are spot on. The story is not the strongest, but not all of the really strong justice league unlimited episodes had the best story uh one of my favorite episodes of the entire series is i believe it's called patriot act it's basically it reunites like green arrow shining knight um uh vigilante star girl speedy makes an appearance against general eiling and it is not the strongest story but the character interactions are incredible and it really gets you behind these characters that are that you're kind of being introduced to for the first time so i really liked it i thought it was a great addition to the dcau if you haven't watched it yet go watch it do yourself a favor check this out dc just continues to put out strong animated properties and even though it kind of had a stumble in my opinion for uh, Reign of the Supermen, which I would say was kind of a lackluster uh, follow-up to Death of Superman. I think this is another home run. Um, I think it's definitely a strong, um, I would say kind of a legacy project for the DCAU as far out as we have been from the conclusion of that universe. And it makes me excited to see more films that might be set in this universe with these characters. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I am missing. I'm sure there is, but again, I didn't take notes because I was so engrossed in the film itself. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. I think you should check it out. If I had to give it my Geeksplained arbitrary ratings, which I always do, I would give it a solid... I would give it a solid 4 out of 5. 4 out of 5. Uh, a couple of the performances, like Starboy kind of pulls it down, the story isn't the strongest, but the rest of the cast, the strength of their performances, the numerous 
DC Easter eggs, if you're a longtime fan, even if you're a new fan, really elevate this to instant classic status for me. And that's going to do it for the review. If you've seen the film, feel free to let me know uh, what you thought. If you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. But I would love to have a conversation with you guys. What you liked, what you didn't like. Did you like Jessica Cruz? Did you like Starboy? Did you uh, want to see a Kyle Rayner animated film like I do? Uh, feel free to let me know on Instagram or Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D. Or through email, because I'm an old man. I still read emails at, G- at geeksplained at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I really, really, really liked this film. This is a return to form, I think, for DC animated films. And with Hush on the way, along with, I think I saw Wonder Woman Bloodlines, and then there might be more uh, coming as well. I can't think of off the top of my head. But I think the future is looking real bright for DC animated properties. know what that music means it's time for this week's weekly review this is the segment of our show where i review something weekly and right now we are deep into the doom patrol series that's on the dc universe app probably heard me talk about it earlier when i was uh, talking about the justice league for the versus the fatal five why is that so hard for me um but this week uh it was episode number nine which was titled jane patrol and by the title you could probably tell this is a very jane centric episode and it reveals a lot to us it's a deep dive in the character i really really like the episode and again this is a prime example of what I was saying last week, where every single episode just keeps getting better. So for me, I think I personally kind of preferred Danny Patrol, but that doesn't mean that this wasn't a phenomenal episode, which it was. It absolutely was. One thing that I think was really interesting was at the very top, it introduced us to Arkansas in 1957 and introduced us to a very young K, which of course grew into who Crazy Jane is today. Now for me, 1957, that's a long time ago. Um, she was a little girl at that point, but at that same notion, this is supposed to be taking place in 2019, today. So I really, at some point, I really hope they answer why everyone is living so long and not aging. I really want to know because it's it's been bugging me. It's been bugging me since like episode five. So I really... I want to know the answer to that, but that's not the focus of this episode. The focus of this episode is the underground. So after last week's episode, um, Karen was forcibly pulled back into the underground, basically leaving the outside Jane almost comatose. So what do we do? We bring her back to the mansion, and the negative spirit jumps out of Larry and connects Cliff 
to Jane, which transports Cliff's mind into the underground. And who does he appear as? His original self. So we actually get a lot of Brendan Fraser in this episode, which I liked. Um, Brendan Fraser has been doing a great voiceover job throughout the season. But that's pretty much like the extent of what he's been doing. He hasn't really been able to get out into the field, so to speak. And you can kind of tell because uh, his physicality as Cliff is a little bit different than his physicality as Robot Man. But I really enjoyed his perspective on everything he's still the same cliff he's still the same guy who's just kind of walking into situations and being like what the hell is this i don't understand so i really liked that a big thing we also got to see in the underground is the actual embodiments of all of the different personalities inside of jane's mind so we got to see what hammerhead looks like and she looks nothing like jane we got to see others we got to see um scarlet harlot we got to see um silver tongue i think that's her name i'm pretty sure it's her name and we got to see a bunch of different personalities and as they kind of explained some of them look like jane some of them don't look like jane it never really tells us why that is which is fine out of all the things that i want to know about these characters why some look like Jane and why some don't look like Jane is super low in my priority list. But what's not in my priority list, what's the highest on my priority list is that freaking age thing. I need to know. But anyway, um, yeah, this was a this is a real big deep dive on the underground. Cliff got to meet many, many of the uh, inhabitants of the underground, including what I thought was the standout, the breakout star of all of the personalities, and that is Penny Farthing. Uh, we got glimpses of her. She kind of took control of Jane during the whole deal with uh, the cult patrol. She was the very like cowardly, like uh, British girl. And when we meet her, she's that exact same person. She doesn't look like Jane, so she's a completely different person. But it's there. She's fun. She has her own character. And I would, I, th it sucks because I don't know if we're gonna come back to the underground. If we do, I hope we see more of Penny because I thought she really stole a lot of the scenes that she was in when uh, Cliff was in his jail cell and he was like punching through the whole or uh, punching a hole through the wall and then looks and sees Jane and then Penny just pops into frame like, hello! It just, oh, it was great. I really liked her. Um, this was also a big, big episode for Cliff and it has been because him and Jane have really been tied together since the very first episode. They've had this weird relationship. Um, sometimes it's like uh, father-daughter, sometimes it's friends. It's really... Um, it's really fascinating to go through but in this one cliff really takes a step forward into kind of leaving his past self behind and becoming who he is now when he is stopped by i can't remember it's this like ghostly looking member of jane i'm assuming one of jane's personalities that looks like a friggin uh like an orc king or no like a like a ring wraith yeah so it looked like a ring wraith and um it was just like no man can pass and he's just like i'm not a i'm no man i'm a and he doesn't say this but he's like i'm a robot man and he proceeds to in one of the just grossest and yet super cathartic moments of the show he rips off cliff his old life and stands there 
in his new life as Robot Man, and he's allowed to pass forward into the well. Um, also, during his travels, we hear about this personality named Miranda, who seemed to be one of the first that uh, Kay Chalice kind of developed when she was a little girl. And it seems like Miranda was what was 2k what jane is now so she's like a primary driver she's the one who is out for the most amount of time she is just she was in control but apparently she kind of went through what i'm assuming jane is going through and at a certain point cast herself into the well and we don't know what happened to her we do get a glimpse of what her kind of wing of the underground was and it has completely gone to shit and there are like differently inmates who have hung themselves it's gruesome it is gross so uh yeah i'm really curious if we might see Miranda again, we probably won't because she cast herself into the well like Jane was about to. But I would be interested to find out exactly what drove her to uh, do that. But what we really, uh, what this episode really gets across is Jane's backstory. And it is dark. Um, it's heavily implied that her father would molest her when she was younger. And it's really just, oh, uh, we, we got like a glimpse of it during the uh, Doom Patrol Patrol episode when uh, Mento was kind of messing with everybody and showing them their deepest, darkest fears. And we saw like the puzzle pieces and a hand reaching out to her. And now we kind of get context for that because she was, when she was a little girl, she was working on her puzzle piece or her puzzle and her gross dad came in and blah, it's just, blah, just makes me super uncomfortable. But, um, it worked as a uh, as a narrative device and jane finally really steps into her own she battles back this specter of her father that's been haunting her for her entire life and uh she really gets some closure or does she um she seems to kind of contain the uh the spirit of her father that resides within her mind and uh it seems like a victory her and cliff both wake up but then later on we see as she's like kind of i guess uh, resting in her bed we hear his voice again so he's he might be locked up but he's not going to be gone so that might come back and then also we got an interesting little uh little scene when they came out of the uh the underground where like something was going on on the other side of the room and uh both rita and vic are like long story and after the uh uh the preview for next week it looks like we are going to get kind of a uh a parallel or like a yeah like a parallel story that's going on during this episode but instead focusing on rita vic and uh Probably not Larry, because the negative spirit is over there. But yeah, so uh, we're going to find out what just what is going on in that room and what they went through while uh, Cliff and Jane were on this uh, journey of self-discovery, if you will. And overall, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the episode. Again, it's so good. If you haven't jumped on yet, you need to. Um, I know, I think DC Universe does like... Uh, weekly like a one week um, like a free trial like a one week free trial if for nothing else do that watch these episodes 
um, watch Justice League versus the Fatal Five, and then at the end of the week, you know, cancel the membership. And you won't. I don't think you'll have to pay for it. So uh, that's not a guarantee. Again, um, I am not a spokesperson for DC Universe. I am not sponsored by them. I would love to be sponsored by DC Comics. That would be amazing. Um, but I just I think it's so worth it especially if you love the animated properties by dc if you love the films by them if you love the comics by them they are adding so many new comics it's crazy so i uh i've actually been going back and kind of rereading certain stuff uh certain favorite books i reread omega men again recently um i've been reading th i've been kind of like working my way through uh some of the old school detective comics and action comics runs and there's just there's so much on there i actually just started uh green arrow year one yesterday so it's super worth your time um but yeah, I'll I'll get over my uh, my shill segment for this. But yeah, overall episode was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I don't know where we're going. I'm really uh, nervous for everybody on the team. But I'm excited to see where the story goes. So yeah. Uh, let me know what you thought of the episode. I would love to have that conversation with you. If you haven't jumped on yet, why? But uh, no judgment. No judgment. But you should. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly review. Check back next week for uh, the continuing adventures of our Doom Patrol. But for now, we are going to jump over to this week's Comics Countdown. And welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the books that I think you should be picking up this week. Uh, we'll be going over the title, the creative team behind it as well as a brief synopsis and each synopsis will of course be accompanied by my synopsis voices if you have a synopsis voice that you think i should try out on these books feel free to let me know on instagram twitter or through email um this is a stacked week uh typically we do like five books sometimes more sometimes less but we have a whopping one two three four five six seven eight nine books nine books that i think you should be checking out if not outright picking up from your local comic book shop um on the comiXology app however you get your comics these are books that you definitely should pick up since we've got a bunch of them we'll just go ahead and jump right in and we are starting off with west coast avengers number 10 written by kelly thompson with art by gang huke lim i really hope i say that right i say it every single month but i still don't know if i'm saying it correctly uh we'll jump into the synopsis here the good the bad and the beautiful concludes Hawkeye and Hawkeye lead the fight to save America Chavez from a cult that believes she's their prophesied chosen one who will lead them into the light and also into victory as they attempt a takeover of Los Angeles. But just as things look darkest, the team is joined by a mysterious and powerful new ally. Amid flying arrows and punching fists, relationships are both blossoming and being torn apart. What does it all mean for the future of the West? West Coast Avengers. So recently it has been announced that West Coast Avengers is going to be ending soon. Um, that sucks. I don't like that. The book has been 
great every single month and it's a shame that it's not really getting much longer than this but all I can really say is the book's incredible. If you haven't picked it up, do yourself a favor. Pick up the previous nine issues. Pick up this issue. It deserves to be read. Kelly Thompson has been doing an incredible job with this book from start to finish, so it definitely is worth your time. Next up, we have Miles Morales, Spider-Man number five, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javi Garon. Um, this is another book that has been really, really good. It's still kind of in its infancy. It's still only issue five, but um, it's been great. And if you enjoyed the Into the Spider-Verse film, uh, this is as close as uh, Comics Miles is going to get to that kind of flavor. So uh, we'll jump into the synopsis here. Tombstone is not happy with Miles taking out his weapon supplier and is taking drastic measures. He's a big believer in the adage, if you want a job done, you have to do it yourself. All the while, Miles is still juggling school, superheroing, and his love life. Wait a minute. What love life? So yeah, it's been a fun book. It's been really good. We're starting to kind of branch out and see where Miles fits in the greater uh, Spider-Man New york -iverse. Uh, So definitely pick up this book. It's a lot of fun. Next up, we have Nightwing number 59, written by Dan Jurgens with art by Chris Mooneyham. Uh, Dan Jurgens has kind of taken over the book here, so... I saw on Twitter he did a funny thing where somebody was on Twitter saying like somebody tell Dan Jurgens that we're tired of Rick Grayson that he should bring back Dick Grayson and uh, Dan Jurgens retweeted that and commented yeah I'll let him know so I I'm not sure what to make of it um, I really enjoyed the action comics run by Dan Jurgens Dan Jurgens is just a great writer but uh, recently I was a big fan of his uh, action comics run and i'm hoping he can bring that same level of storytelling to nightwing so uh we'll jump into the synopsis there's a new team in town who will have to learn the hard way that fighting injustice doesn't mean you're cut out to be a superhero as the newly formed Nightwings are forced to deal with a fiery threat they never saw coming, reluctant recruit Rick Grayson has to make the choice between a carefree life without capes or answering the call that's been ringing his entire life, the call to be a hero. Join Rick Grayson and the Nightwings as they learn what it takes to be a team and what happens when you fight who you truly are. Um... Again, it's it's not for everybody. I get that. Um, I am a Nightwing purist myself. I love just Dick Grayson as a character. As we talked about last week, I think he's the greatest comic book character of all time. But I am interested to see where they go. I really hope that this has a big payoff. Uh, the last couple arcs have been good, but I'm still kind of hoping to get a sense of the direction they're going in for Dick Grayson as a character, or Rick Grayson, or whoever. So um, definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Old Man Quill, number four of 12, written by Ethan Sachs with art by Ibram Roberson. I want to say it's Robertson, but it's listed as Roberson. Uh, but this has been great. This has been great so far. It's old school space spaghetti western mashup, and uh, it's with the Guardians. You know them, you love them. 
but maybe not this version. So it's been really interesting. And uh, with last week's Dead Man Logan kind of returning back to the wasteland, I wonder if they're going to match up or not. So we'll just have to see. But here's the synopsis. Fight for your life, Peter Quill. Captured by Taskmaster, Peter and the Guardians find themselves in the pits of his battle arena. So if Peter wants to save Earth, first he's got to defeat Fing Fang Foom. Plus, the return of a fan favorite Wastelands character. Uh, it's it could be it could be Old Man Logan. We don't know if this if the timelines line up. Um, talking about other fan favorite Wastelands characters, there aren't a whole lot. Um, it might be uh, the uh, Spider Girl of this um of this reality she's nicknamed spider bitch by a lot of a lot of fans um i can't remember if we saw her in the in last month's issue or not but i'm interested to see where this goes uh it's a maxi series just like the other old man titles so um yeah Next up, we have Uncanny X-Men number 16, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Salvador La Roca. Um, this is starting to kind of make sense. It's starting to push towards what we are going to be doing with these characters, but I'm still really cautious, and I still don't know exactly how they're going to fit in once the whole Age of X-Men thing blows over, but um, let's jump into the synopsis. Cyclops and the X-Men have set out to save mutant kind, but the Mutant Liberation Front isn't going to just wait for it to happen. Led by one of the X-Men's own, the MLF is willing to do whatever it takes to stop mutant oppression, even kill any mutant who stands in their way. So yeah, um, the reveal of Hope being kind of the leader of the MLF was interesting. I'm curious on how that's going to kind of affect the larger uh, X-Books. But yeah, this has been really good, and the, uh, the cover is teasing possibly a return of Psylocke. So we'll see. One book that I think is a must-buy this week is Batman number 69, what written by Tom King with art by Yannick Paquette. Always a fan of seeing Yannick Paquette jump into DC books. I love his art. It's so just anytime you look at Yannick Paquette art, you know that it's him. So anyway, um, after last issue, we got the, uh, we finally kind of got the answer on what's been going on with the Nightmares arc that's been going on, and Tom King on Twitter has teased that we are finally going to be picking up again with Thomas Wayne Batman in this issue going and then going forward. So uh, let's jump into the synopsis. The Dark Knight is breaking through the bad dreams and coming out the other side. But is he ready for the culprit wading through the Veil of Terror? And what lasting effects might this whole ordeal have on Bruce Wayne's psyche? With artist Yannick Paquette jumping on board to tackle the art, Nightmares comes to a shocking close. This will be the strangest issue yet, a no-holds-barred journey through Batman's psyche via the inner workings of Arkham Asylum, setting up the next big chapter of Tom King's epic Batman tale. Batman's future starts now. So yeah, big talk, big talk. 
Um, I'm really excited to see where this goes. We've been uh, recently, Tom King has teased um, basically the next big arc is uh, Bane taking over Gotham. So I am interested for it to kick back into gear. Uh, Nightmares was a great showcase of other artists and kind of more self-contained stories, but I'm ready to get back into the overarching uh, story, the overarching narrative of Tom King's run. Next up, we have Thor number 12, written by Jason Aaron with art by Michael Del Mundo. Um, This book is just great. (laughs) Thor has been fantastic so far. And uh, this is going to be tying into the larger War of the Realms event that is going on. Uh, Last we saw Thor, he was battling frost giants, an endless, endless army of frost giants on his own by himself out in Jotunheim. So uh, let's jump into the synopsis and see where he is at. War of the Realms tie-in. Fatherly love is not something in which Loki Laufeyson is terribly familiar. Yet, you'd think that with the Frost Giants invading New York in Malekith's War of the Realms, he'd find some quality time to spend with dear old Deadly Dad. And he will, but not in the way you'd think. So it's interesting that this kind of almost seems like more of a Loki-centered issue. Um considering i don't uh, i'm just gonna go for it uh considering that at the end of the first issue of war of the realms spoilers for war of the realms issue one uh loki was seemingly killed by a frost giant so we'll see we'll see what happens in this issue whether it's like a prequel kind of filler issue or what but um this is one of the books i think if you want to be following along with war of the realms this is a book you should definitely be picking up Next up, we have Spider-Man Life Story number two of six. This is taking the uh, the story that started in the first issue that took place in the 60s and completely uh, dropping it and going into the 70s. Um, there was a big reveal at the end of the first uh, first issue, and I'm... I'm curious. I'm really curious because it left on kind of a cliffhanger and now we're going to be jumping an entire decade um, because each issue is going to be taking place in a a different um, decade. So last month was the 60s, this month's the 70s, then it's the 80s, the 90s, the uh, 2000s, and then the 2010s taking us up with uh, issue 6. So I'm interested to see what they do with this. Uh, The book was fantastic. If you haven't picked up Life Story uh, issue 1, do yourself a favor if you're a Spider-Man fan and pick it up. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis. Can Peter and Gwen find happiness in the 1970s? The Green Goblin is out of their lives, but Norman Osborn isn't. Can Peter and Gwen find happiness as the world of the 1970s dances on around them? So yeah, it's um, it's interesting. The uh, Like I said, last issue uh, left off with a big cliffhanger, so I'm interested to see if we're just going to be left with cliffhangers each issue, and then the next issue is going to be like, and that got resolved, let's move on. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. But the big book for this week, the one that sits comfortably at the number one spot, is War of the Realms number two of six, written by Jason Aaron with art by Russell Dodderman. Um, This is continuing on from issue one. Uh, This is the big event for Marvel for at least the summer. Um, And I thought the first issue was great. 
it really it's really honestly it's really sold by uh russell donnerman's art um i did not know i wanted him to draw captain america as bad as i realized when i read the first issue um but he just he gels so well with jason aaron's uh style of storytelling and it really makes for a really good comic book so let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the world at war as the battle for new york city continues a hero falls all the heroes of the Marvel Universe have assembled, yet this still might not be enough to stop Malekith's endless war, and the one hero who could turn the tide is stranded when no one can reach him. With Thor trapped in the land of the Frost Giants and the forces of Earth overwhelmed, Black Panther, Jane Foster, and Doctor Strange make a desperate gamble. Valhalla awaits. Ooh, that that is interesting. I think that's really interesting. If they're gonna call on uh, forces from Valhalla, we're talking about characters that might that may have died. Um, I'm pretty sure we witnessed like the murder of Odin in the first issue, so we might see him uh, in Valhalla if he's not in Hell. But uh, yeah, this is this is shaping up to be a pretty great event. Um, I've heard both. Uh, positive and negative reactions to the event overall as well as the first issue but i am going to reserve my judgment until the entire series is complete but for me also i love the pairing of jason aaron and russell donovan so i am definitely going to be reading this all the way through and that is it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have West Coast Avengers number 10, Miles Morales Spider-Man number 5, Nightwing number 59, Old Man Quill number 4 of 12, Uncanny X-Men number 16, Batman number 69, Thor number 12, Spider-Man Life Story number 2 of 6, stay with me here, and War of the Realms number 2 of 6. So yeah, big week for comics, lots of stuff. Pick up, if not some of this, all of this. Um, if I had to put like a top three like must must buys, um, it'd be, probably be War of the Realms, uh, Spider Man Life Story, and ooh, um, I'm gonna go with uh, Batman number sixty nine because that's starting to re kind of ramp back up. So definitely pick up if not just those three books, the entire list, and uh, check back next week for more comics. If you think I missed any comics, if there are any comics that you think I should be picking up, feel free to let me know. I'm always down to discover new comics. And uh, for now, we are going to continue our official rankings, or non-official rankings, of the MCU. I love that theme. That is iconic. It is one of the most iconic just pieces of music, I think, of, if not just cinema history, just of pop culture of all time. Um, it is now time for the continuing rankings of the MCU. We have been doing them in bite-sized bits 
each week leading up to the release of Avengers Endgame, which is next week, guys. We're almost there. We're almost there. And um, it has been a blast going through these films again, getting to rewatch them, rank them. They've been moving all over the place, let me tell you. Uh, to recap, if you haven't, uh, if you aren't completely uh, obsessed with this list like I am, uh, at number 21, to recap, we had Thor The Dark World. At number 20, we had The Incredible Hulk. At number 19, we had Iron Man 2. At number 18, we had Iron Man 3. At number 17, we had Thor. At number 16, we had Doctor Strange. At number 15, we had Ant-Man and the Wasp. At number 14, we had Avengers Age of Ultron. At number 13, it was Captain America, the first Avenger. At number 12, it was Captain Marvel. Number 11 was Iron Man, number 10 was Ant-Man, and number 9 was Black Panther. We're getting a lot of uh, feedback on this list. Uh, a lot of people have been kind of giving me their opinions on it, and I appreciate your opinions. Um, some people have been agreeing, some people have been disagreeing. So I, I love getting to have those conversations. Having a back and forth is great. If you disagree, feel free to let me know with any of my picks. I really want to dive deep on, uh, on where you would put all the films, how you would rank them. Because overall for me, and I've been thinking about this lately, uh, this is an experience. This is a cultural worldwide experience that has been now over 10 years in the making and i just love that i love that in the mainstream in the modern day lexicon the avengers theme as well as the mcu is so front and center that we can look at this not as you know uh nerds who are scared to tell people that they read comic books during gym class this is now like the cool thing this is the thing that i dreamed about when i was a kid being able to talk to so many people about the things that i love so um yeah i went off on a tangent there but these are uh the next up in line for our rankings of the mcu this week we are doing numbers eight number seven and number six we are almost there. Just got edged out of the uh, top five, but these are all extremely high-quality films. So with all of that out of the way, all of my um, all of my disclaimers and all that stuff, uh, at number eight, and of course, one last disclaimer, this is my opinion, of course. Um, if you disagree, feel free. I mean, you'll be wrong. But, but but I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, again, I want to have those conversations with you guys about this, about this list. So let's jump into it. Number eight is Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, this ended up ranking a lot higher than I thought it was going to. Um, Rewatching it and kind of stacking it up against the other films in the MCU, uh, this, this film kind of ran the gamut. Um, it was higher, it was lower, and it ended up, you know, nestling right here at number eight. And a lot of that is due to Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Uh, Pete is the endearing, uh, always positive, even in the face of his numerous losses. And it's just, it's great. It's great. It's, he is one of the 
plucky young characters that we are going to be following in the MCU into Phase 4 and beyond. Um, I'm really, really happy that uh, Disney and Sony were able to come together and work out this deal for Spider-Man. Um, even if Sony is basically doing nothing with it because of, you know, Venom and Morbius, I don't know. But um, Peter Parker shines in this film. And as has been said in the past, a hero is only as good as his villain. And his villain in this film is one of the best. Michael Keaton plays Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture. And he is fantastic. He is top three villain material. He is excellent. He is uh, he's menacing. He's funny. He's got huge pathos. And he, you really can sympathize with him. You, can, you get what makes him tick. And the best part about him, they didn't kill him. They didn't kill him, guys. This was a big problem for the MCU for a while, where every time, even if they had an okay villain or a villain that you could see uh, evolving, they just killed him off. Never to be seen again. Obadiah Stane, I thought, was a big casualty of this. Um, and others. Others that I think should really get the chance to come back. At the time, I felt the same about the Red Skull. He is, if you have seen Infinity War, and if you haven't, what are you doing here? Um, his whole status is up in the air now. But this was one of the, the times where I was like, I'm so glad they didn't kill him because you know he's going to come back. You know he's going to factor into future Spider-Man plans. And a big thing that I really liked about this too was uh, the feel. It was a classic uh, 80s high school feel. It felt like, you know, films like The Breakfast Club, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like you got that sensibility from it. And from what I understand, that was intentional by the filmmakers. Um and I just, I want them to keep making this kind of film for him because it fits so well with this version of Peter Parker. I'm one of those people that really enjoyed the Jake Johnson um, older adult Peter. But if this is the version that we're going to have in the cinematic universe, and by all means, he might grow up into an adult version of Peter Parker. Uh, this is the best way to do high school Peter. Um, the things I didn't like about it, uh, unfortunately, with all of the good of Peter Parker, uh, at times he really felt like Iron Man light. I like the fact that they're focusing more on his science ability. Don't get me wrong, I love that. But when it came to his suit, how it was basically like a, uh, a Reese, an Iron Man skinned, or a Spider Man skinned Iron Man suit, I didn't like that. It takes away from Peter's, uh, his ingenuity, his ability to be a uh, competent crime fighter in his own right. And it also, for me, kind of focused a little bit too much on the MCU. I like Tony Stark, don't get me wrong. Um, and they used him as sparingly as Robert Downey Jr., I'm sure, allowed. But I really would have liked less focus on... Uh, peter and tony's relationship and more focus on peter trying to uh really establish himself and pull himself up by his own bootstraps um i of course on you know the flip side i loved the little uh captain america gym promos um as 
much of a letdown as the post credit scene of this film was. Um, it inspired 100,000 different memes, so I will take that as a win for uh, Team Cap. But despite the kind of heavy focus on the MCU, I loved the cast, I loved the soundtrack, everyone was firing on all cylinders when they were making this film, and it really is a great entry point into this character for people who, whether they missed Civil War or they really were looking for an entry point into kind of a uh, younger uh, viewpoint into the MCU, this is a great jumping on point. Next up, at number seven, and this was tough. I want to let you know this. This was tough for me. This was really tough. And number seven is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Volume 2, um, I think, is a strong film. It's a very strong film. Um, the soundtrack, it's there. The cast is firing on all cylinders. The humor is fantastic. The spectacle is great. This is exactly what um, the title suggests. This is an awesome mix, volume two. Uh, everything that you liked in the first film, it's there. Whether it's expanded upon, whether it's kind of boiled down to the necessities, whether it is you know really given a heavy focus, all of it's there. Um, the thing I like about this film is that uh, in comparison with the first film, it's more intimate and more personal. Uh, the first film was a lot of bringing these characters together. And one uh, nitpick I had on the first film was that even though it did a great job balancing them, none of them really grew as characters. I didn't get a whole lot of development between them. And this film really does that. This film takes its time. Now that you know these characters, you can go with them on this personal, emotional journey. And I really enjoyed that. Unfortunately, because a lot of it is, hey, you like this in the first film? Here's more of that. It doesn't break a whole lot of new ground. Um, we do get a little bit of insight into Peter's background, but by the end of the film, he's back to who he was. So it's almost like you can just kind of ignore it. Um... I think that this this film specifically is less uh, it's less required to see in the MCU because it is more of a uh, self-contained story, which I like. I do like those self-contained stories, as I said during the uh, during the previous point. But this one, I think, is. A little bit weaker than the first film because of that. Uh, I do really enjoy the family dynamic in this film. They really expand on that. Uh, Peter and Gamora, kind of the uh, the parents who are trying to figure things out as they go. Uh, Rocket is the unruly younger brother or the uh, the older son who is just belligerent. He doesn't want to listen. Drax is the funny uncle who doesn't really get it most of the time. And then Groot is Baby Groot. This is Baby Groot's film, really. Uh, Groot gets to really shine in this after sacrificing himself in the first film. And he, you know, he runs away with every scene that he's in. So he's great. Um, talking about the soundtrack, as I was, uh, as I mentioned it earlier, I would say between the first and the second films, this is the weaker soundtrack of the two. 
I understand, at least from interviews, that James Gunn was much more personal about the tracks in this film. Uh, the tracks in this, uh, in Volume 2, were a lot more, uh, I guess, personal and meaningful to him, which I totally appreciate. But for me, he kind of... Uh, it didn't gel as well with the storytelling of the movie as well as the uh, volume one did with its soundtrack. However, what I really did like was a wicked good villain. This was around the time that Marvel was really just knocking villains out of the park. And Ego, played by Kurt Russell, is fantastic. He is great. He is menacing. He is welcoming. He is charming. He is hilarious. And he is a perfect... Uh, he's a perfect villain for Peter in the idea that this is the worst case scenario of who Peter could have ended up. Um, he really just it's so weird because they look at you look at both of those characters they're very similar they're very similar and they should be but what i like is this is the dark reflection of peter's uh of peter quill he at any point could have turned into ego especially with all the power that he claims but because of being brought up by a double cross of yondu um, he got to be raised by the Ravagers, and Yondu is a shining beacon in this film. Um, he is just, he is the MVP of the entire film, and his death is so heavily felt. This is a real loss. This is a, I remember being crushed in the theater. There was a woman who audibly was like, no, as this happened, as he was dying, and it was heartbreaking. And the ending is very emotional. Um, played off by one of the most, I will say, with all my criticisms of the soundtrack, the best song. It is just, uh, it's I think it's by Cat Stevens, and it's titled Father to Son. It is one of the greatest songs that has ever been on an MCU soundtrack ever. And I, oh, I cannot get through that ending scene without shedding at least a tear. I just, it gets me every time when uh, Craglin, you know, shouts out, um, when the music's kicking on and the fireworks are going, um, it's just, um, it is, it's an incredible, incredible heartfelt ending to a fantastic film but that brings us to number six which you probably guessed is guardians of the galaxy volume one it's not called volume one but a lot of people refer to it as volume one because of volume two and all that but number six is guardians of the galaxy and a lot of that as i was saying earlier goes into the soundtrack the soundtrack is pitch perfect the soundtrack could not be any more perfect if you tried to make it it is so indicative of what the film is with its flavor its music composition the whole thing the action and the narrative flow so well with the soundtrack it feels like these songs were written for the film rather than the other way around um, i would say this is the most unique out of all of the mcu films both at the time that it was released as well as today um 
I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't look at this and say that this isn't your typical MCU film. From the cast, the uh, synopsis, the characters, the whole, at this point, mostly untouched Marvel Cosmic, this film is so strong in so many ways. Uh, the ensemble cast is incredible. Peter Quill is, of course, your lead, but he is supported so well by Drax, by Gamora, by Rocket, by Groot. Everyone is so good. Even John C. Riley appears as a member of the Nova Corps, and he's great. It is a fantastic film. The only, I would say, the only dark spot for it for me is the villain. Um, Ronan the Accuser is a fantastic character in the comics, and unfortunately, you know, I like Lee Pace as an actor, but. And I'm sure he did the best that he could with what he was given, but Ronan is very one-note. He's very uh, two-dimensional, and he just he doesn't pop like other MCU villains. Uh, so other good MCU villains, I'll rephrase that. But um, yeah, it just it's unfortunate because the character is really good, and unfortunately, he's not really backed up by a whole lot. Um, most of his uh, supporting villains with the exception of Korath because Korath is fantastic um don't really do him any favors Thanos even in this film is really nothing more than a guy in a chair and this is not the strongest display of Thanos as a character uh, if you looked at this Thanos and put him side by side with the Thanos that is in Infinity War mind you they're played by the same person um, it's like night and day. They're very different characters, and it kind of makes me wonder exactly what the direction for Thanos and the MCU was before Joss Whedon kind of left, and everything just kind of got shuffled up. But, um, yeah, those are really just, really for me personally, the two dark spots of the film. But otherwise, I love diving into Marvel Cosmic. I love getting the Nova Core. I love the introduction of really explaining to the audience what the meaning of the Infinity Stones are, why they're important, why everybody's after them. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Collector is fantastic. He's so campy and so ridiculous, and he's fantastic. Um, and what I liked the most about this film is that it took a risk. Before this film came out, I could count on maybe one hand the amount of people who knew about the Guardians of the Galaxy, much less were fans of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I will say myself, I was not a huge fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew who they were, I knew their background, but I wasn't like a, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. And after this film, the team blew up. And this, I think, is one of the... one of the... in the timeline of the MCU, we're not talking about in-universe, we're talking about the... Uh, the studios, Disney, Marvel, the whole thing. This was the turning point. This was the point where everyone said they can do no wrong. Whether they are weaker films, whether they are stronger films, Marvel cannot lose. They cannot um, They cannot fall on their faces. They are doing so well, and this really kicked off that hot streak. They were so dead set on making this work and it did and it still does it holds up 
it's one of those films that has touches of the wider uh, MCU, but it is, again, a standalone film for the most part. Though I would say if you're trying to follow along what the Russo brothers are referring to as the Infinity Saga, uh, this is definitely required reading. So I would definitely say that this is one of the best. It just got edged out just barely out of the top five. It was... You can't see, obviously, because it's podcast, but it's so close. It's It was so close to that number five spot, and it just got, ah, oh, it, it still, it bothers me a little bit, just how close it was that this fell into the number six spot. But yeah, so to recap, number eight, Spider-Man Homecoming, number seven, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, number six, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. So that is going to do it for this week's MCU rankings. Next week, next week is the conclusion of this countdown. Next week is the conclusion of this list. We're doing the top five MCU films of all time, of course, not including Endgame. Um, and I'm so excited. I'm really excited. Next week is a big week. Um, we're going to be dropping this. Um, I've got a couple things in the pipeline. Um, that I might be dropping also next week. And then we've got Endgame. We've got Endgame. I'm so excited. I'm so freaking excited about this film. Um, I'm so excited about this list. And I'm so excited about the MCU. And I'm so excited that I get to share all of this with you. I didn't mean that to rhyme. That just happened. Um, but yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Again, let me know what you think of the countdown so far. Let me know if you think I'm way off base with some of my points, with some of my picks, if you would slot a movie instead of this movie or whatever. And let me know, let me know what your top five are so that when the episode drops next week, we can kind of compare. So that is, uh, that's next week. I'm looking so forward to next week, um, but I really am glad and happy that you decided to join me for this week and i want to say thank you for uh listening all the way through i really appreciate it, it helps me out a ton um and feel free to drop reviews feel free to subscribe to the podcast helps us out gets us out there we are trying to grow as much as we can we are in year two of the podcast and we are just gonna get bigger and better as we go along and uh yeah that's gonna do it for this week check back next week for of course another episode of the weekly review more comics and the conclusion of the mcu rankings our top five mcu films of all time uh next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explained this is eric azana before we go before we go i want to address something real quick i didn't this isn't in my notes i didn't put this in here but um it's come to my attention that uh Endgame has been getting leaked across, you know, across the internet, whether it's on Twitter or other websites. Um, and I just want to say, as someone who loves these films, as someone who has been following this journey as it's been going along for years, since 2008, um, I think that sucks. I think that something that people have been working so hard on for over 10 years is getting spoiled for people really sucks so if you happen to uh know certain things if certain things have been spoiled for you 
please do not spoil other people. Please do not spoil Endgame for other people. Thanos still demands your silence. This is something that the world is waiting to see, but do not ruin someone's experience. Um, because this is the end of an era. This is a huge landmark event. So just do your best. I'm not saying that my listeners are spoilers. I hope not. I really hope not. Um, but I just... I also want to caution you because there are spoilers out there there are leaks out there um this was a huge thing for the whole release of kingdom hearts 3 too uh people got spoiled leaks came out and it really ruined a lot of people's uh enjoyment of that property so i would say if you have to um, if it starts to get really bad next week we don't know what next week is going to bring in the lead up to the premiere um I know if it starts to get really bad, I'm going to be jumping off of the internet just full stop. But um, yeah, just do your best. Avoid the spoilers. We're going to get through this together, and I'm really excited to share in this experience with all of you, this over a decade experience. But for now, for Geek Explained, that's it. That's my uh, that's my little rant, my, um, my special message just for you, my PSA. Uh, at the end of this episode. But for now, uh, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.